0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. And as a special offer for the month of October, we are offering 50% off for all of our ThoughtBot podcast listeners. Just follow the link from the show notes and sign up today.
1: Hello. Hello. Hi. Am I still on the wrong
0: screen? <clears throat> no, you're on the right screen. I'm just looking to make sure that it'll lines are going up and down and that we're actually capturing this so other people might be able to hear it someday ah right that thing i think it's working the things are going up and down cool they look good i don't know nobody's peaking (laughs) your gain sounds good i guess i don't know My, my decibels are appropriate yes Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. How's it going? Uh, good. I lost your access. You are stripped of all your commits. Yeah,
1: that was a thing. Uh, so good, other than like having my GitHub profile become
0: empty. I feel like there's a public service announcement we need to make here. We need to play the more you know music. Yeah. So, if I'm
1: recalling correctly, when I first started at ThoughtBot, I don't even think I bothered to set my... Uh, get, my uh, Git email in the, confi- in the configuration at all. I just had the name set. Uh, and for some reason, that was causing on some project that we were working on it to switch between my real name and my GitHub username all the time, and people found that annoying. So I set it to my work email because it was on a work project. And then s- several months later, I became heavily involved in open source and never once thought about my uh, Git configuration email. So uh, the, the thing is, the way GitHub links a commit to your account is based on the emails that, that are linked to your account and the email that you use to, commit, uh, to make the commit. And so if that happens to be your work email and you lose your work email, well, then you lose those commits. And in my case, that email was Sean at ThoughtBot, and there's also another developer at ThoughtBot named Sean, who then got that email when I left. So not only did they uh, uh, become removed from my account, but I he never actually added it to his GitHub account. But if he did, he would have instantly been uh, on, if you looked at the GitHub charts, one of the top contributors
0: to Rails. That's pretty good. I mean, the same thing, that's happened here a couple of times because we have the people like... One of the places where we're starting to get bigger, so this might become more of a problem, but where you can basically just choose your email address and everybody choose most everybody chooses first name at ThoughtBot.com, right? Um, and so it's happened to, like, Nick. We have Nick. I'm sorry, Nick. I don't know how to say your last name. Rivendiera or something like that. Um, Nick R in New York and uh, Nick Caranto used to work for us years ago. So... You know, this was several years as, rather than weeks in your case, where all of a sudden Nick R became like a top contributor to several projects where Nick Caranto had committed with his, um, with his StopBot address. So I think the general PSA is if you're using GitHub to contribute to open source and you want to maintain attribution of those commits to use an email address, you are likely to control for longer than your employment.
1: I would even argue for non-open source stuff. Because, like, having it, having an email linked there, like, if there is for some reason some, uh like, if that information's ever useful to somebody, it being an email address that will be known to continue to work is probably more useful than one that might become deactivated when your employment ends.
0: Right. And it's also, like, it's a little surprising because this is entirely a GitHub problem. Right? Like, you, I mean, true, those commits say Sean at ThoughtBot.com. But we could, like from a social perspective we know that you know prior to september of 2015 sean at Thoughtbot.com was you right and right. the only time it really starts to matter is when you're like browsing through the user interface and you see like you click through and that no longer goes to your profile or you know if if sean if the the new sean here had uh, the new owner of sean at thoughtbot.com had associated it to his github profile then it would go to him right and that'd be even more confusing
1: Right. Um, So Git actually has some built-in support for this. Uh, You can add a file called .mailmap to the root of your repository. It's just in the format of your name, followed by your email address with the carrots and standard email display format, followed by the name that the commits would have been under and the email address that the commits would have been under. And then if you do Git log it will map those. So um, it also gives you the granularity you'd need to, for this particular thing, where if I do uh, Sean Griffin, Sean at ThoughtBot, Sean Griffin, Sean at Sean the Programmer, that like then if Sean Doyle went and using the same email address made some commits later, it wouldn't map those because it would only map it if it was the name Sean Griffin and that email address. Huh. But GitHub has no support for it. So I've been trying to petition for some people to maybe... Because uh, like... Of course, for me, it's a it's a it's a big deal. And, but I've seen, it, like you said, it happens more often than you'd think. And it, like your your GitHub profile, sort of your primary identity as a developer these days. And so to have uh, everything you've done stripped from that, it, it feels awful.
0: Yeah, and that's certainly something I, I feel like that's certainly something GitHub doesn't shy away from, right? They're not shying away from let us be your resume or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so maybe coming up with some way to remedy these problems would be good. I mean, they could also do it. In an entirely different way although like a more git standard way would certainly be git merge but or git mail merge but they know they know your sh key at the time you committed like they know your account they right. know that, that that account well at one point they knew i don't know if they still know that that commit came from your github account
1: well the problem is there's a lot of commits that come from my github account uh and in fact many of which are not my commits like the author um the committer and the person who pushed it to github can all be three different people.
0: True. Yeah. And I also like like I've also changed authorship on commits to other people. Like if I'm rebasing and a commit of mine got in got like the credit for the commit, I've I'll change it to whoever I think should get the credit or whatever. Right. So like it would come from me and be associated to my account in that case, I guess. So mail mail merge is the way to go. Mail map, whatever they call it. Yeah. Uh, is the way to go so hopefully if we have if we have listeners out there working at github help sean out and help several other people like i i just heard this from at least three people who work here and like uh it happened to mark who was the host of the build phase podcast and moved on from thoughtbot a couple of months or a few months ago and you know that spurred gordon to look at his configuration and he was like oh i'm using my thoughtbot email address as well so first step of the psa is to look in your git config make sure you're using an email address that you're relatively certain you're going to control past your employment with your current employer and then the second step is if you work at github or know people that work at github see if you can get them to support this mail map yep but they can fix rails contributor like i mean rails contributors doesn't use github anyway so it just says Sean, yeah, no the just contributors Sean app Griffin. is
1: fine right. like it, it, it's not it's not yeah it's not like i'm actually worried that all of a sudden uh it's like it never happened but it's it's still just weird to because you know I, I link to my old commits all the time and actually uh, when I talk about writing good commit messages I usually point um, like the, the students I mentor to github.com slash rails slash rails slash commits question mark author equals s grip, and then all of a sudden <laughs> that's now like a barren I mean the only thing the things that were still there were the commits from when I clicked the merge pull request
0: button in the github interface and right. the, um, because your primary address at that point was is was your Sean, at Sean the programmer address yeah, So that's um, what I was committing as.
1: But then, yeah, the Contributors app does something completely different. And I also, and we also do have a mapping uh, thing already built into the Contributors app. And we do other things where, like, you can um, put a special if, – if you put, like, a name in square brackets in the commit message, that uh, causes the commit to be uh, accredited to someone else. No oh. Stuff like that.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's also a matter of, like – this sounds really jerky – but it's kind of like a matter of branding right like even if i wasn't looking specifically for what has sean griffin done in the open in open source right and started clicking through rails like if i'm clicking through rails commits and i just constantly see your face right the avatar you're using there is you're like wow i'm seeing this guy all over the place who's this guy right so to lose that and then not and then so first of all they can't not only can they not click through and see like this belongs to a registered user on GitHub, but they don't. They also like miss out on just seeing the constant like, "Oh, I see that guy's face everywhere." Yeah. Plus, um, I lost my streak. Oh, the streak is gone. <laughs> um, well, you can get that back. You just you know change your Git history on your dot files or something and push me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the real solution here, right? I'll just uh rebase the last 2 years of rails rails. Nobody'll yeah. mind.
0: No, I don't think it'll cause any problems at all. No. It'll be just fine. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Anyway, uh mailmap, it's a thing we should support it and oh, my favorite though, are um I told some people and the answer was that's really dumb. You just should have not ever made a mistake ever
0: yeah i know like (laughs) it's like
1: Like, yes that is that is uh, true people should generally speaking not make mistakes
0: however but it's also not necessarily it's like to realize that that's a mistake you have to think so far forward like it's perfectly reasonable for you to be like i'm working on a work thing so i should use my work email address
1: right and then there's a huge delay between that time and when you work on open source and yep potentially
0: i think that's totally reasonable so hopefully we saved a bunch of people. Everybody's out there now just typing on their computers, checking their Git email addresses and changing them all. Yeah. And pressuring all of the GitHub people to support Mailmap. PSA over. This is the part where we would do an ad read if we had an ad read. But I'm oh, fairly we have certain we, have an ad, we don't have an ad read. I can talk about... <laughs> <laughs> Let's pretend that we are sponsored by... Uh, oh, you know what we should do?
1: I really, really want us to have a sponsor that has, like, nothing to do with with programming. I want to do,
0: like, and now for the Febreze AirFX Design Pattern of the Week. We don't have a sponsor this week, but I thought it'd be good to mention that at ThoughtBot, we're hiring for several positions. One of them is a Rails developer in Denver for some reason. I don't know why. I can't imagine why. Um, So if you're a a Ruby and Rails developer, if you're a designer, if you are an iOS developer, an Android developer you want to go to thoughtbot.com slash jobs and check out everything we got there because uh, I'd love to work with you, particularly if you really like the show. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I learned a thing this week. So uh, I was working on an app that deals with, again, a service-oriented architecture, and it is... um, sense a pattern here. It's not really... I guess uh, guess you could call it a service-oriented architecture. Anyway, what it does is it talks to some external services over HTTP APIs. And... Occasionally those HTTP APIs will return an exception. It seems like several of the the API clients that people the API client gems people are writing are using REST client these days So REST client is pretty nice in that it returns an exception for any HTTP error code, right? And it when, when you say any
1: HTTP error code does that mean status. any non two,
0: or does that mean like starts with five? Fours and fives? Okay, I believe um maybe i don't think threes anyway four isn't 400 500 that type of thing and what's nice is they do the nice thing which you're recommended to do in all of like in if you look at the exception documentation in ruby they recommend doing this which is if you are a library have one base class of exception one base error that all of your other custom errors inherit from so that it's easy for consuming code to capture all of the errors your library might return right so they have like rest client error or rest client exception or something like that and then all their specific exceptions inherit from that so what i wanted to do was rescue so like in the code that calls this api client what i wanted to do was rescue those errors so that i could log them to you know in this case it was raygun was the exception tracker we're using which i'd never used before um so log them to raygun and then also turn them into an error that was specific to our application. So it wasn't like REST client not found or, you know, REST client error or whatever, right? Yeah, makes sense. So that's what I wanted to do. And I deployed that and it worked fine, except that by having the block be rescue REST client error. And then what I would do is I would, then I would create the new error that I actually wanted to raise, log the new error and then raise the new error. Okay. By doing it that way, I was losing the backtrace. Because I created a new error, and right. then I, you know, logged that new error. So I was like, okay, well, what I can do is, I can log the existing error before I create the new error, right? So I log the REST client error, then I raise the, I use that to create a new error and raise. Right. That or uh, like another common pattern is to have an instance variable called cause
1: or original exception or something like that.
0: Right. And that's so. So that's where I think it gets a little interesting. Is like, so I did, th- I did that thing where I did. Um, you know, I logged the original error. And what happened was now Raygun was getting the right stack trace. But if, if the thing I, re, I re-raised, you know, my custom exception, if that was not caught, the stack trace that resulted from that didn't have, like, the full right. stack trace, right? It only had the new stack trace from that point on. So I started looking into this a little bit, and I realized that I learned a couple new things. Number one is that raise. so when you say raise, you know, my standard error, and mm-hmm. then the second argument to that is your message that you want with that, mm-hmm. right? There's a third argument you can provide, which is the backtrace. Oh. So what I was able to do was say raise my error with whatever message I want and then use the existing error's backtrace as my backtrace. Hmm. That's, that's a cool. that's a little screwy <laughs> because like if you actually look at that, there's no way the claimed backtrace could actually have happened, right? Because the backtrace will be slightly wrong. Right. Know? So I was really kind of frustrated with this, and I was like, why doesn't Ruby support nested exceptions? Like so several other languages, right? Right. Turns out, here's where the interesting part comes in, I think. Turns out it kind of does. So in Ruby 2.1, cause was added on exception. Mm-hmm. And there's no documentation in 2.1 for it. But if you look in the documentation for 2.2, what it claims that happens is that When you raise an exception, Ruby will automatically take the dollar bang variable, which is the global variable for the currently being raised exception, right, and set that as the exception's cause.
1: Following? Yes. So at
0: that point, every exception you raise should have a cause, which was like the really the new thing for me, which is like, okay, it kind of does support nested exceptions in that manner. Right. Right. So unfortunately, what happened... What, what what still didn't quite work was that ray gun as far as i can tell does nothing with this cause field whereas like i looked into roll bar and roll bar does seem to do the right thing and kind of iterate over the cause and give you the give you the full backtrace that you want like I, where this will pop up often is in like action view so if you have an exception in action view any any exception in action view gets basically wrapped up in an, ex, in an action view error or something like that right template yeah. error action view template error but there is there the in ruby 2.1 or higher cause is going to be set which will be your actual the actual error that caused the problem right and so you can look at like rollbar for instance is another error report error, which seems to do the right thing in this case so you can look there and see that so i just thought i was first excited about finding that you could pass a third argument to raise and and reassign the backtrace even though that felt really silly um then i heard about cause and i was like okay well how do i set this and i was really excited that it happened automatically and then finally bummed that the uh service i was using for error tracking doesn't seem to support it but why not just override the backtrace method how do you mean like
1: def backtrace super plus cause dot
0: oh yeah i suppose i could do that but then that that's still only a fix for like the case where i'm using my custom exception right Right. um action view doesn't fix it doesn't get fixed for action view that kind of thing unless action view already does something like I think this we, i
1: think we probably do that because right. and, and then the other thing about the cause deal too is that ruby doesn't necessarily need to do it automatically
0: because uh your your exceptions can have constructors right so you can opt into like having to do that but i believe i'm going to pull up the documentation right now for cause because
1: i think raise even just uh like splats all arguments after the first one and passes them to the constructor right
0: as i was i was trying to figure out part of this process i was trying to figure out like okay what does raise do like what are all the arguments to raise and i couldn't find the documentation for some reason so i was like oh uh, i was in pry and i was like show source raise just show me the source code for raise mm-hmm. and turns out spring overrides raise <laughs> spring <laughs> overrides raise to hide itself from the backtrace which as i think does. i think that's super evil right if you're having a problem and you can't figure it out and you're hunting through the backtrace there's a possibility that your problem is actually Spring because you changed the initializer and you forgot to restart the application, right? Or you forgot to restart Spring. Right. So it would be nice to see that reminder in the backtrace that Spring was running, (laughs) right? (laughs) But, like, like it would just be a constant reminder of, like, oh, Spring. Oh, okay, there it is. I mean, maybe there's a different reason. Maybe, like, there's something missing about how it would pollute the backtrace to the point of being unreadable rather than just being long, but... I don't know.
1: I mean, Rails... Used to do this and kind of still does, right? Where we show, if you're if you in the exception app, the default exception app in development mode, um, by default we just show you the, I think we even just call it the default backtrace, which is the quote unquote cleaned backtrace, which uh, I believe the criteria for what goes in there is whether or not something is a gem. So like it won't just uh, scrub out Rails stuff, it will f- scrub out any library stuff. And then there's the full backtrace, which is just the raw everything. And then there's the um, the framework backtrace, which is everything except for your code,
0: right? And RSpec Spec does something similar, right? You can pass dash b to get like the full backtrace. Of, right. your ex- of your test failure or whatever. But, but the
1: difference in both of these cases, though, is they're not actually editing the backtrace. They're presenting it differently. Exactly. But the code doesn't, yeah.
0: Right. So Spring seems to edit itself out of the backtrace, which is something that uh, ooh that is interesting. There was also another conversation we had briefly about um, George Brocklehurst, one of our coworkers here from the New York City office, was talking about how he'd been doing some Python and he switched over to doing Ruby. And one of the things that takes him the longest to get used to, he said, was... Um, python prints their backtraces in reverse order Mm -hmm. which um, ruby does not ruby prints them like you will see the like when the error happens and it gets put out to your console the first line you'll see because your console scrolled all the way down to the bottom is the oldest line from the backtrace right so you have to scroll all the way to the top to see like okay where did this error actually happen so what python does is invert those so that you're seeing what is likely to be the most inf- interesting information to you at the lowest point in the scrollback buffer for your terminal or whatever. Right. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting, like, seems like, yes, that that should definitely be a thing. Like, you probably yeah. can't change that now. And I think there are, I think somebody linked to a gem or something Gary Bernhardt tweeted or something like that that, that reverses the stack traces when they print out. And I feel like maybe this was just tooling or maybe this was i don't know somebody can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe c sharp does the same thing or it may actually just be that like when i'm doing c sharp development i'm often in an ide and the ide knows i want to see like again with the presenting of the errors the ide knows like you want to see this first um so i just thought that was another like nice nicety of development that ruby could take like we talked, you talked uh a little bit with mike burns more about rails and django but the uh reversing of the exceptions i think would be a good user experience bump
1: yeah i think so um Again, as long as it's a presentation-level thing, which I... No, even then, we couldn't... It would have to be a gem or something. I, like, it would be too big of a change in Ruby because there are going to be things that are sub-shelling out and yeah. then parsing the backtrace if it errors.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the ship that ship has sailed, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, anyway, digging into all this exception stuff also got me looking at Ru- um, Avdi Grimm's Exceptional Ruby book. So if you're interested mm-hmm. in, like how to properly do things with exceptions in Ruby, then you should definitely check that out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Cool.
1: As an aside, I feel like uh, exception logging services or logging services in general are kind of like JavaScript web frameworks now. (laughs) Yeah. they have a new one every week.
0: I feel like there used to be like Airbrake and Honey Badger and maybe like one or two other things. And now there's a new one I'm trying on almost every single project. There's uh, Airbrake, Honey Badger, Raygun, Rollbar. Uh, What are some other ones? I don't
1: remember the name, but... The guy who originally started Rubinius, I think is like doing a really, really, really closed beta one. ooh,
0: all of them seem to function just fine, like I don't understand really what each one adds. I've been using on on like client projects where we get to introduce the the error tracker. I've been using rollbar because it's got a pretty good free tier mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good enough reason for me yeah. to add it um. I've been happy with Honey Badger before. Um, I've never actually used Airbrake, despite working at Thoughtbot, where like for a while we owned and ran Airbrake, and it was used on most of our projects for a long time. But I never actually got a chance to use that, so I can't speak to that. But they all seem. to used it on T1D? No, we used Honey Badger there. Oh, I don't
1: know. I love when the differentiator is like how much they scale. We can handle hundreds of thousands of uncaught exceptions from your app per second because. <laughs> That's not indicative of a way way larger problem with your app.
0: I certainly, I mean, I haven't seen that level of scale, but you know, the old SOA project I was on you know, several several months ago had uh, used Rollbar as the exception tracker. That was the first place I'd used it, and I got a really poor opinion of it at that point. But I realized pretty quickly that it was just because of the state of their error track, like their data in mm-hmm. there, and it was like first of all, like they were subject to several like scanning attacks. So, like, things would things would get, would get result in a routing error or a 404 or whatever, and those would report. I was like, okay, well, let's shut that off. And then it was just the kind of thing where there were several errors that were just normal for, like, cons- like they happened so often that they were like, oh, this is normal. You know, in my Gary Bernhardt voice. Um, yeah. This is normal. You have a thousand errors. This is normal. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the danger of, like... It's a broken window kind of theory where you're, you're like, oh, we're logging all of these exceptions now. They're over here. We will we can check them off and say they're resolved one by one. And then you get to the point where you've got thousands of them. And some of them actually aren't are like these 404 things that aren't really errors. They're just like we need to be filtering these out, that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: I feel like we just need to make sure that we're inserting the logging in, a, in the middleware stack before the um, well, that wouldn't work. Because I, I I believe the same part of the middleware stack that displays the 500 page is the uh, same part of the middleware stack that handles um, active record record not found returning a 404. Because like you you don't care if they got a 404 be, because they went to right. a, UR, a you know a, a, an ID that doesn't exist, but. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That'd be interesting to look into is if we can insert in the middleware stack the thing that logs to the error reporting service. If we can have that before the thing that gives the 500 because it needs to be before that. Uh, but after the thing that ca- handles active record record not found and routing errors.
0: Yeah, because there there was when I made the change to ignore active record record not found and eventually the routing errors, there was some pushback that was like, well, we could have routing errors that we're introducing by doing something incorrect right particularly in a service oriented architecture where like you're linking between apps so you don't have like you don't necessarily have like rails's automatic path helpers that are you're, you know um, if yeah. the code runs you're pretty certain that it's it's at least pointing somewhere valid right so there was some pushback on that but I was like there's so much noise here that like there's no chance of ever getting any signal out of it so let's just find some other way to catch those
1: <laughs> i guess you could probably do some more intelligent filtering right like api requests are presumably distinguishable from User ones and then if it's because you generated a bad link, maybe you could look at the origin header
0: Yeah, and certainly like Rollbar has like the ability to Assign a proc there so you could do whatever you want like when you're determining if you're going to ignore an exception or not right. um, Some of these just have like you can give me the class names of the exceptions You want to ignore and you really can't do much about that at that point um, But the more advanced ones allow you to do stuff like that so right it's handy.
1: Pro tip for implementing: uh, if you're if you're ever implementing something like that, if you just choose to accept anything that responds to triple equals, like that, you get the that you get the class comparison for free. You, get, you handle procs for free. Triple, get sort so of
0: procs respond to triple equals. Do mm-hmm, I know that by calling it? Huh.
1: Yeah, it's it's useful if you've got like a case statement where most of the branches are like a regex or a class name or something, and then you have that one case where you want. It, then it's like crap this just needs to be a normal conditional but i don't want to break this whole thing into an if else if else if else this is probably only a thing you run into in rails but uh, <laughs> uh if you wrap the if you wrap it in a proc uh the proc response triple equals of course you shouldn't do this in any um huge performance bottleneck places because that's going to allocate a proc object which happens to be one of the most expensive objects to allocate in ruby but or to garbage collect in ruby rather but um and you could assign it to a constant but Anyway, anyway, yeah. Proxy respond to triple equals.
0: Huh. I should look at some of those error reporters then to see, like, their documentation said, just put class names in there. So I didn't really question it, and I also didn't know about this triple equals thing. But I wonder how they're matching on those class. If they're matching on triple equals, then I'd be able to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm looking at the list here. So we've got Sentry was another one we forgot. Bugsnag oh. another one we forgot. AppSignal another one. <laughs> like, there's just they are popping. These are just the Heroku add on So who knows what oh, else is available. Um I believe doesn't New Relic do, do some level of exception tracking as well? Yeah. Um so yeah, good luck. Pick one. Uh, <laughs> I like yeah. Rollbar. It's got a good cheap good that, that that's getting my uh my seal of approval currently just because it's got a good cheap plan on Heroku. Hmm. What else?
1: So uh I'm working on working with a new code base now. Yes. So of course the first thing I did, uh, as as one does with any new code base, is uh, I opened up appmodelshop.rb, given that or an e-commerce store shop's gonna be one of the base models. Counted the number of lines.
0: Counted uh, them by hand. You didn't you didn't use them, you didn't look at the line number or anything. You just
1: No, 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 hand. of course. I, I specifically just kept pressing J and counting them. <laughs> um, no, but it's, like, interesting, you know, looking at, so, the huge block of including modules, uh, which was, like, three screen lengths, and then the <sighs> huge block of associations, and then the huge block of validations, and then every method under the sun, and at the bottom, there's a couple of more class macros, which I found funny, like, just that they're <laughs> at the bottom of the file for some reason. Hiding
0: out down there, there's, like, uh, how many this? And you're, like, what? What's going on?
1: <laughs> it's unexpected, right? This is just what happens when you have a, a, an 11-year-old monolith, but uh yeah, it was 3,000 lines. I'm like, yep yeah, sounds about right.
0: 3,000 lines not including whatever you're including with your right. includes.
1: <laughs> right. I the, the number of concerns is a little concerning to me. <laughs> Boy, uh, I've never made that joke before. <laughs>
0: uh yeah we should get we should do a discussion where we talk about like exactly how we approach a new code base especially a legacy code base and how we get up to speed because i think uh we'll both be doing that very shortly so we should do that in a future episode episode.
1: yeah but that's another show (laughs) right
0: oh i gave uh uh, i gave more talks yeah yeah let's talk about that how was portugal slash chicago
1: so uh chicago i ended up getting sick and like in the airport Uh, I got sick and luckily it was the Denver airport though so I wasn't like halfway there and sick but uh, I ended up not going to Chicago but uh, Portugal so a I should have looked up the weather because like I think Portugal right I just think oh it's sunny there Mm -hmm. and it was pouring rain the entire time Uh, apparently like it's very unusual for it to rain much there especially in the month that I was there but it was yeah completely pouring rain Uh, but it was good uh, giving a talk is way easier the second time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I also did a, uh, what do you call it? A panel on the future of languages yeah. with, uh, Steve Klabnick, Avdi um, Grimm, Sam Phippen, I think, yeah, Sam was in the panel and, uh, a professor from a local college, uh, and then Koichi was in the audience, but, um, was saying that he didn't want to do the panel because he didn't feel that his English would be good enough to do it, but then afterwards like, wait, I thought I was going to be on the panel. (laughs) Uh, Which was cool. But yeah. And did you talk about Rust? uh, In the panel?
0: Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, of course.
1: (laughs) Uh, The the professor from the university happened to be really, really, really into Rust.
0: Wow, with you and Steve on the stage. That's, you know, he's a good company. Yeah.
1: Uh, And then Avdi, of course, just always had lots of poignant things to say.
0: And... I saw some pictures and there was a smoke machine involved. Yes, there was
1: a smoke machine. So
0: the conference was
1: Lord of the Rings themed. I'm mm-hmm. not sure why. I did I actually did ask the uh the organizers and they're just like, "Eh, we just sort of picked a theme." Uh, so it was Lord of the Rings themed and so they had a smoke machine. And uh Of course. Why? Okay. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> then I requested to uh, have the smoke machine, when, I, when they announced me and I came out I requested to have the smoke machine going and the fl- final countdown playing. Uh, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a thing da-da-dum. that we did. <laughs> and was this, was was like the smoke machine explicitly used for introductions? Is that, is that what it was like? Or did people deploy the, employ the smoke machine like in the middle of their talks? Like
1: how- No, they had a little bit with a wizard at the beginning. And so like he disappeared in a cloud of
0: smoke. Oh, uh, okay. And you were like, well, if there's going to be a smoke machine. I want it for right. my talk.
1: And then, and then we just all started requesting ridiculous stuff because uh, PJ Haggerty was uh, was emceeing and he is just fun to have on a stage. <laughs> and we'll do things like pull up the final countdown on his phone and hold it up to the microphone because we don't actually have like an audio setup that has music. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was good. It was a lot of fun. It's a great conference. Uh, I highly recommend that people consider going to it next year because I was not there last year, uh, which was the first year they've done it. But I heard great things about last year. It was great this year. Um, very enjoyable conference, great location. And you can stay for like an extra week because for me, the plane ticket was really expensive. But I got there uh, as early as I was able to, to take time because uh, the hotel was like nothing.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like the talk went really well. Second time giving it always. This is only your second time giving that talk?
1: Uh, at a conference, yeah. Right. Okay. And then I was going to give it one, mo- one more time in Chicago before retiring it, but that didn't happen. Uh, so I'm probably still just going to retire it, though, I think. <laughs> it- it'll make less sense for me to give that talk after Rails 5 comes out.
0: Right. Yeah. I've been trying to give the code review talk again with no success. I've given it like at several meetups and stuff like that. Like I went down to Austin, gave it a meetup there. I did the Boston one. I did another meetup in Boston. I've had some people request that I come to their company and do it, which... I don't know. That feels a little too small. Sorry. It's uh, kind of like a perfect sign of success for that talk, though, right? I guess, except that I'm not getting it accepted anywhere else. Like, well, like it didn't get it accepted to RubyConf. Although it appears as though, based on the review number of reviews it got, like it was kind of on a list of ones that could have been accepted anyway. And a couple other conferences, I I, I pushed it to. Like, I'm trying to branch out and get to like non-Ruby conferences because it doesn't really have anything to do with Ruby in particular. Right. And I haven't been I haven't been successful at all there, but. The other thing is, like, I, I tend to only have pretty high-profile conferences come onto my radar, and I'm pretty bad about searching out. Like, I don't even know where to go to be like, how do I? Like, there's been a couple times where things pop up, and I'm like, oh, if I knew that that was a conference <laughs> that is in my home home city, I probably would have been like, yeah, I'd love to speak at that.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you're just looking, I don't know about non-Ruby conferences, but rubyconferences.org is a pretty exhaustive list and has things like CFP dates.
0: Okay cool yeah the people can check that out i can check that out that's helpful anyway so we'll see how that goes i i'm not ready to retire yet i put in a lot of work i'd like to give it one or two more times if i can
1: yeah it's a really good talk
0: thank you very much um but we'll see i don't know i'm also trying to come up with other stuff because talking was a lot of fun like we talked about on the show i think before but yeah. like talking when you get off the stage and you're like oh that went well and people are responding well it's it's a good I've been doing some weekly iteration recordings here, which is, like, a um, video show we do for uh, Upcase subscribers. And I'm kind of feeling that out as a, like, means for do, is there, like, a technical talk that I could give based on this topic somewhere. Um, so far, I haven't really hit on anything, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So if you're an upca- Upcase subscriber, you can see me try out several different starts of, fits and starts of conference talks on the weekly iteration. <laughs> anyway. Um,
1: yeah. I don't recommend giving more than one a uh,
0: a month. More than one what? Conference oh, talk?
1: Yeah. like yeah. Ta- Or ta- even if it's the same talk, like speaking at a conference that is not in your hometown more than once a month.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did two in Boston, like, back-to-back, basically. But that was just, like... One of them was at the ThoughtBot office. So I was like, cool, I'll just hang out here. And the other one's down the road. So it's like, it's fine. And yeah. actually, like, the Boston RB one was probably... I mean, very nearly the attendance of giving it at RailsConf. Because, like... Boston RB is extremely well-attended, and then also, like, you have the entire audience. Like, there's no—there's not six tracks right. like there are at RailsConf, so.
1: Well, that's only RailsConf, though. Most conferences are single-track.
0: Yeah, single or one or two tracks, something like that. Yeah.
1: Oh, I do have one other thing, too. Okay, go. Um, so, Koichi was in Portugal as well, and you remember the whole JRuby thing with the, with the block-to-proc conversion Yes, yeah, so we talked
0: about this a little bit on the episode. So you're trying to make it faster somehow? Yes.
1: If, you, if you capture, it, basically if you're capturing a block, but you're only ever using it for delegation, so you're just passing it back as a block to another. So if there's always an ampersand in front of the variable name, mm-hmm. basically. I can make that eight nanoseconds faster. Right. Which in the case of a method like read attribute and active record is huge because um, that's a ridiculous hotspot and adds up to several milliseconds on a standard request. I think it might be actually microseconds, not nanoseconds. I don't remember. Uh, Anyway, we did this on JRuby where now I just eliminate the the cost of creating the proc, uh, and the block just goes through immediately. Uh, And I do it as compiler pass there, which is the best way to do it. We just eliminate the instructions to allocate the proc. But the only reason that works in JRuby is because they treat binding and eval as keywords, not methods. And so in MRI, it was going to have to be a VM uh, level change. But after a good bit of time exploring this, it looks like the only way that we'd be able to do it at the VM level in MRI is to make accessing any local variable slower by adding a a conditional there. Uh, And it's Mm -hmm. currently a branchless instruction, so that would be really, really bad. But... I was having dinner and was talking to him about it, and it sounds like we might be okay with just eliminating the ability to alias binding and eval. OK? So like you could still override it and call super and do all of that stuff. But, uh, and with module prepen, which like there's not really much reason to do the, the alias method chain stuff that you used to have to do, which would Im- require aliasing. And, wh- and what that means is then I can rely on, like now, if I see the method binding or any of the flavors of eval, I can just escape the optimization. But I can know whether or not the optimization is safe to do at compile time rather than run time. And so then everybody's programs just get a
0: little bit faster for free, and that'll be really cool. And that'll and, be uh, an MRI Ruby optimization?
1: Yeah, probably, uh, I don't know when I'll, A, when I'll have time to, to work on it, and B, when it would land. If and I, so I this,
0: this just it. entails, so when you say if I see binding or eval, you mean inside the proc?
1: No, no. In uh, the scope, in the same lexical scope as the variable that you're capturing it to. Because okay. um, basically what I need to do is, in the compiler, evaluate whether or not you're ever using it as a proc. Or because most code is just that, that is going to be affected by this is going to look like a one-liner or a very simple thing where like you're just going to p- always have an ampersand in front of it. Basically, I just look at every place that local variable appears and I'm like, is there an ampersand in front of this? And if the, answer is, if the answer is yes, in all cases, then I do the optimization and eliminate the intermediate proc object. And if the answer is no, then I don't do the optimization because you are using this as a proc, maybe doing .call on it or doing something else. But then if you are ever calling binding or eval, I actually have no way of knowing whether or not you're using it. So in that case, I need to also just assume that you are using it as a proc. And not do the optimization, but that requires me being able to detect at compile time whether you're ever calling binding or eval. Right. But it's cool. And it's just one of the things like JRuby does it, it's fine. People don't you don't need to be able to alias binding and eval. Don't do that. That's a really bad idea. And it makes and it makes an entire class of optimizations possible that are impossible if those are
0: aliasable. Hang on, I'm searching GitHub for alias eval. <laughs> Oh, GitHub search. It's finding things where alias and eval right. appear, but not next to each other. So never mind. That's not going to be useful.
1: I love that quotes don't work on GitHub search either. Yeah. That's another feature. In listeners. Quotes. Yeah.
0: I put it in quotes. It doesn't work. I don't know. GitHub code search is hard. I'm willing to cut them to slack on that one. Get the mail map thing done first. <laughs> yeah. Circle back to the search <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, We should wrap up. Yeah, that's what I was say. Show notes for this episode can be found at Bikeshed.fm slash 35.
1: As always, ratings and reviews on
0: iTunes are much appreciated. We love feedback. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at underscore Bikeshed, email us at host at shed.fm, or leave comments on the website. Thanks for listening to Bike the Shed, and
1: we'll see you next time.